Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mech. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms because it is truly outrageous, and it truly believes that old people are better than you. We're doing episode 21 today, Old Meets New, one of our two old people know music more than you do episodes. Three, if you are the time travel episode. This one's written by uh, Sandy... E-R-I-E-S, I don't know how to pronounce that, Aries. This person is the writer of several cartoons. I wrote down a highlights list here. An episode of the 90 Spider-Man cartoon called Neogenic Nightmare Chapter 14, The Final Nightmare. What? Which, if that isn't the most 90 Spider-Man episode name, I will eat my hat. Uh, they also wrote Alone Again of Gem and the Holograms, the very special drug episode. And they wrote an episode of Star Trek Next Gen, Coming of Age, which is where uh, Wesley has babies first, Kobayashi Maru. That's yet another Wesley's Better Than Everyone episode. That's basically like Wesley's Ender's Game. God, I hate Wesley. Every right-thinking person does. We open at a concert. And there's a big sign that says, Musicians Against Intellectual Poverty. My notes just have a great number of question marks next to that. I'm not sure. Was that a thing in the 80s? Was, or is that just something they put on a sign? No, here's the thing. Literacy was a big thing in the 80s. That's why we have two separate episodes about how great it is to be able to read. Literacy was the big thing before we started getting afraid of AIDS and drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. Anyway, the announcer at the concert steals Kimber's line by saying, here's a band that's truly outrageous. Then we've got a music video. Rock and roll is forever. It's a fake band covering a song written by another fake band at a fake concert. And it was written way back in 1954, so that would have been about 32 years before the release of this episode. Yeah, so like a million years ago, clearly. And uh, I, I gotta admit, it's not the best song. I honestly can't even remember it now that it's out of my head. Oh, really? I get this one as a bit of an earworm. I really, really liked this one, actually. This is the first one. I, I can't remember it. I, I, I can remember the uh, the various Intrigue at the Indy 500 songs, but I can't remember the songs from this one. But um, one thing I did write down is that I do like their poodle skirts. I really liked the Rock and T-Bird and all the Grease tributes in there, including Jem's enormous pink ponytail. It, it's so one of those like 50s-themed diners outfits. Not like real 50s outfits, but 50s-themed diner. They look like the friggin' Mouseketeers. I love it. So you said you said this is the first song you've liked, Kit? Maybe not the first song, but I did really, really like this one. And I don't usually like the songs on this show. Honestly, like, I think this is another one of those things where they were able to mimic a sound and do it pretty well. Yeah, they were clearly going for a specific sound here and they nailed it. But uh, someone doesn't share our opinion. Boo, that was lousy, says a guy who sounds like Zipper's voice actor. There's a single guy that says boo here and they're able to hear it from up on stage. Like, boo, boo, go on. Bow to her! Bow to the queen of putrescence! The queen of filth! He's like, you got that song all wrong! Love saved her in the fire swamp! And he gets uh, stopped by the guards from like jumping up on stage and I don't know what he was planning to do once he got up there, but the guards stop him and he threatens to punch a guard. So you know, that goes well. This guy had third row seats. I don't know what's going on with this guy. But later he barges into the dressing room, which they could have been getting changed! Or anything. Anything? You don't barge into people's dressing rooms? How did you get back there? He introduces himself as Bobby Bailey. Says he wrote that song that they did a cover of, quote, while your daddy was still in diapers. How old does he think they are? Like 10? Science corner. 
let's figure out Bobby Bailey's age. Okay, let's say if he wrote that song, let's generously say that he was between, I don't know, 17 and 25 at the time. So if we even go on the high end, 25, and that was 32 years ago, that would be 57? This guy, especially if we consider that I believe John Lennon was born in 1940, so that would have been while rock and roll was sort of starting when he was growing up. We're looking at a man who is 45 to 55 is a good rough estimate. Keep that in mind as he continues to call himself an old fart. If anything, he's probably about as old as Emmett Benton would have been. Bobby Bailey of Bobby Bailey and the Tornadoes, which I guess is supposed to be some kind of Buddy Holly and the Crickets type situation here. But he says, me and the Tornadoes helped invent rock and roll. So basically the entire theme of this conversation is, me and my white buddies worked really hard to steal rock and roll music from black people. How dare you bunch of girls steal it from me? Bobby also says that the song that they played was meant to be played without synthesizers or electric guitars. Electric guitars. He's saying we're not part of rock and roll at all? How old is does this guy think he is? And did did he not know that they existed until now? It's like I'm I'm reasonably certain that electric guitars have been around since at least the 40s in their current form. Anyway, Kimber's got this great line where she says, What good is a guitar if you can't plug it in? This is a woman that we have seen and will see several times with an acoustic guitar. It's a great line, though. I love it. I love how bad it is. It really is. Kimber is our character that represents young people who just don't understand. And her her arc here is that she eventually does become a young person who learns to understand how much better old people are. So Bobby basically drags them all to his apartment building. Which is a condemned apartment building. It's all boarded up and everything. There, it's it's boarded up over all the windows. But Bobby has apparently been living there for 25 years, as has a whole bunch of tenants. He says that the guy that owns the building wants to build a factory. Yeah, he says the weasel that owns this building needs an excuse to tear it down. Oh, gee, I wonder who that could be. Look, look, hold on, hold on. Wants to build a factory. This is clearly a residential zone. Just right here, right here. Zoning laws, right here. But no, that doesn't occur to anyone until the middle of the episode. We'll get to that. Down the street is the weasel who owns this building. And it's Eric Raymond, and he's like proclaiming, ah, how relaxing, while he swings his wrecking ball into buildings and knocks them down. Right, this is the best Eric and Misfits intro, I think, in the show. It's just them literally coming in like a wrecking ball. Oh, great, Stormer like sitting right next to him is like, you sure got some weird hobbies, Eric. Thank you, Stormer. Thank you, Stormer, for being a voice of reason. Eric is going to tear down the entire block to build this to build this record factory, which, okay, look, he says this is going to be the biggest record factory on the East Coast. Are they on the East Coast? Okay, look, I've been thinking about this. Conceivably, we never see any of our regular home set pieces like Starlight Mansion or Starlight Records. Conceivably, the holograms could be somewhere on the East Coast. Just like touring. Yeah. Either that or nobody knows where California is. Anyway, Eric immediately comes in with the misfits and it's like, oh, by the way, I need your help evicting people from this building so I can tear it down. And I actually really like this exchange. Yeah, they're like, why Why would we ever want to do that? And they're like, well, of the once I build my factory, the first album to be cut is going to be yours. And Stormer's like, why does that matter? And he did not expect them to say no to that. He's like, uh, you, you get opening, you get to play. I'll have a party. 
I'll have a big party for the opening ceremony of my hypothetical factory, and you get to play that. The best part is there doesn't even seem to be any money involved in here. He's tricking them into the doing this pro bono. Eric sort of brings them in like, okay, here's the plan. And Pizzazz immediately pushes out of this huddle and is like, why not violence? Pizzazz, as usual, just goes straight for murder. She's just like, well, let's just tear down the building then. And Eric's like, no, Pizzazz, there are people in there. Speaking of people, we go back to Jim and the holograms talk to Bobby Bailey. As Pizzazz smashes it into the building. And uh, and we get our first commercial break with a, the holograms are about to be crushed by a wrecking ball. We come back from our commercial break and the wrecking ball like takes off the fire escape, but that's about it. Eric grabs back the controls and says, I'll get sued. Arrested? Nope, sued. Amazing what lawyers can do if you pay them enough. But then the wrecking ball's out of control. He can't stop it. And he manages to wreck a little traffic cop car. A hydrant, I think. And then it swings around and actually like crushes the cab of the wrecking ball. They straight up ditch the crane right as the ball crushes them somehow. I don't even know how this works. Physics? I don't know. Somebody diagram this. I don't know what happened. So then Bobby and the holograms rush out of the building and Bobby screams, Raymond, you stupid turkey. Oh, I love this line so much. I do. I need that on a shirt. I know, right? Everybody gets called a turkey in this. It's so good. Bobby Bailey manages to scramble up into the control booth with the wrecking ball and switch it off, which I guess didn't occur to Eric Raymond. Also, the the control booth is, all of the controls are completely unharmed. Everything has been crushed except that control console. And then Kimber's like, what? You could do that? But old people! Bobby Bailey's like, well, despite the fact that I am 55 tops, I am not totally decrepit. You didn't think somebody my age could move and think that quickly, huh? No, no. I just didn't think you knew how to operate heavy machinery. You're a musician. Where did you learn this? As far as I can tell, you've been living in the wreckage of your former career for 25 years. But we get the best moment of the entire episode next. Because the cop whose little traffic cart got crushed comes charging over and screams, You stupid meatball! I love the insults. This episode in particular has some really great insults. And she starts listing off everything he's done and just like, you know, damage to property, uh, reckless endangerment. And she chops off the list with, and you're parked in a no parking zone. Then Eric tries to bribe her with $50 worth of 80s fun bucks. <laughs> She's like, attempted bribery of a police officer? I'm going to be writing you so many tickets. And I was like, isn't attempted bribery of a police officer like a felony? Shouldn't someone be going to like court for this? You know, I think it is. I mean, surely enough of this qualifies a court visit. They just sort of drop off with this later during what seems to be a cleaning montage. Yeah, they're fixing the place up, fixing the damage to the fire escape. Bobby is being a cantankerous old person who is... Is this guy just pretending to be like 77? Because he's he's 55 at the oldest. Yeah, Kimber offers to help him with the work he's doing and he starts going on about how he doesn't need some new age space cadet to help him with blah, 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 blah. I'm old and better than you, blah, blah, blah. And Kimber's like, you know what? Fine. The misfits roll up on a truck bed. You can hear them coming for like a block. It's amazing. And they immediately pop in with their song for the episode, Jack Take a Hike. This is one of those songs where Pizzazz over enunciates, Jack, take a hike, take a hike, Jack. 
and it's very snappy and poppy and you can hear every letter. I'm thoroughly enjoying Pizzazz's magnificent green ponytail. Everyone gets a ponytail in this episode. Yeah, I love Pizzazz's outfit here. It's like her, it's sort of like her 50s outfit. She's got those great sunglasses. My note here basically says they use fireworks to focus fire at Lady's Potus plant. And also this band needs bass so badly. So badly they need any kind of bass. It could be a synth. I don't care. Just, it is the tiniest song. Also, Pizzazz kicks a cat, and that's unforgivable. Yeah, she she was mean to a cat. Who does that? Pizzazz was mean to a cat. That's not allowed. So apparently this has actually been, like, Eric's plan. It's to get the misfits to play at people? At people, yes, exactly. It's just to get them to, like, annoy people until they leave. And also focus fire their potted plants. Why wouldn't they get the, the misfits to play at, like, 3 a.m. if they really wanted to annoy people into leaving? Do you want to get Pizzazz up at 3 a.m.? I'm not sure I'd survive the experience. Exactly. Anyway, Eric has a yacht. I could have sworn it was Pizzazz's yacht. It would have made sense if it was Pizzazz's yacht, but it's not. It's Eric's yacht. And he's got two goons there, Torchy and Mickey. First, I want to point out that Pizzazz is wearing Jordy LaForge sunglasses. But yeah, then Eric introduces his secret weapons. Torch and Mickey. And whenever someone says Torch's name, we use the same clip of him like growling like Wolverine. It's totally great. I miss Zipper, you guys. They couldn't have brought Tech Rat in on this episode, at least. Nah, we got some old-fashioned hijinks. Because that night, Torch floods the basement and Mickey cuts the power lines, which are somehow headed right for Bobby because the because he and the holograms are taking a late-night stroll. And then we have a cut as, uh, as it starts falling towards Bobby, so Memento Mori by our Bobby Bailey doll? Kimber's right behind him. Maybe she'll get, like, caught in the blast. That's true. Buy Kimber's doll or she'll die behind Bobby Bailey. I was honestly starting to hope that Bobby Bailey would, like, die heroically and inspire Kimber to save the building. But no, he lives. Yeah, Kimber actually pushes him out of the way. Shayna identifies Mickey as, quote, one of Eric's goons. How do they know? He's not Zipper. He's not He-Man. He's not Tech Rat. We'd never seen this guy before, but Shayna's read the script. Aja gives chase, the others follow, but uh, Mickey manages to escape, unfortunately. Yeah, Jem is like, it's no use. Eric must have hired a marathon runner. Didn't you guys win a battle of the network stars? Yeah, like even in heels, you guys should be able to have a handle on this. More importantly, marathon runners don't run fast. It's not the point of marathon running. That's absolutely true. So the next day, we pop up outside of the courthouse where Aja Shane and Jerrica are waiting in the Rockin' Roadster. They are very worried about Kimber because she has been doing research in the court's public records for eight hours. And they're like, is she sick? Is she okay? Something must be wrong. Kimber comes out. She's like, I've got it. I've got a plan. So they head to Bobby's apartment where Kimber announces her plan. It took Kimber eight hours to figure out that you can't build a factory in a residential zone. We're halfway through the episode. Eight hours. She's like, Bobby's neighborhood was zoned residential in 1958. So Eric can't build a factory. Eight hours. Eight hours to realize this. I mean, was she just, like, using the computer to, like, look up random articles on 1980s Encarta? Is this seriously not a well-known fact in Gem World? That you can't build factories in residential zones? Well, apparently it is. Because in our next scene, we go to the yacht. 
Yeah, the holograms actually board the yacht while it's out at sea. Eric's in this hilarious yacht captain outfit. Shayna's wearing triangle pajamas. Uh, And also the goons are just sort of relaxing on the yacht as well. They're just hanging out. Nobody recognizes them. They point out that uh, the building's in a residential zone. Eric, his reaction says that he has never heard about this. He is just now realizing this. He has bought and torn down every other building on this block, and it has never occurred to him to petition to zone it as an industrial. He just hadn't taken that into account. He just figured he'd be able to do whatever he wanted. He's just got a sheet of paper that says, I can do what I want. That's his permit. And then Eric further showing that he has no idea what zoning laws mean. He says, speaking of zoning laws, you're on my property. Referring to the yacht and tells him to leave. I'm reasonably certain that's not how zoning laws work, Eric. But uh, as they leave, Eric turns to his henchman and says, Don't worry, boys, the battle isn't lost yet. And we get that repeated clip of Torch growling like Wolverine. Is that just a general reaction they had? Our next scene is in a limo, which is apparently the limo of a city councilman. Because those have limos. Speaking of which, uh, when Eric says he has a proposition for this councilman, the councilman puts up a privacy screen between him and the driver. A clear glass privacy screen. So this guy can clearly see the money changing hands. He just can't hear what they're saying. Also, from the looks of it, the driver does not care. No, not at all. Apparently this this happens a lot. And they keep they keep saying, like, what is your proposition? I have a proposition. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a I think it's a uh, a sexy proposition. But subtext aside, if one can even call it subtext, Eric takes out a briefcase full of money, which he announces is phase one of his proposition. Uh, He's going to give money to the councilman's uh, re-election fund if the councilman passes a a law that, that changes the residential zone to a commercial zone. Although, shouldn't it be an industrial zone if it's a factory? So Eric really doesn't know how this works at all. He has no idea what he's doing. I mean, he's just giving money to a city councilman as though that's actually going to do anything. But then meanwhile, at a TV store cliche, it turns out it actually has done something and it made the news somehow. Yeah, yeah. Not only has this rezoning passed like in a matter of hours, possibly, but they're reporting on it on the news. And Bobby Bailey is just like, well, you can't fight City Hall. It's, this is this is over. We're done. Kimber's the only person that's like, well... Why would we actually give up at this point? That's silly. Everybody else is like, nope, despair. Despair is what we're going to do now. Shayna says of Kimber, that girl sounds determined. And Jem says, that's my sister. Bobby's right there. Bobby's right there. Jem is identifying Kimber as her sister. Way to blow your cover, Jem. Constantly, constantly she does this. It's like she doesn't even know how to keep a secret identity. Anyway, Jem ropes video into doing a documentary about the building. Yeah, which is sort of like a goodbye documentary. It's really sad. Yeah, it's 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 this very sad, melancholy thing. And by the time they're done, so, well, it's a shame this place is going to be torn down. And Jem's like, well, at least we've got the videotape, implying that the videotape is going to be the thing that lasts. Videotape lasting. At least we've still got the videotape. The videotape will last forever, right, guys? The videotape encountered a fridge magnet the next day. Some of the highlights from this video include saying that this studio is one of the first rock and roll recording studios in the world. Um, doubt. And it was also some of the first rock and roll pioneers recorded in this very room. People like... Uh, and, um... Uh, 
Johnny Be Good was a great song, wasn't it? So at another TV store cliche, some kid and his dad are watching Jem's tape and decide that they're going to save the building. Yeah, it, what's really hilarious about this is that uh, the, the little kid says, Gee, Dad, I didn't think people your age knew anything about rock and roll. Really? They never shut up about it. Are you kidding me, kid? Your dad is maybe 30. Baby boomers are incapable of shutting up about how they know rock and roll better than anybody. Anyway, our next scene is the very dramatic bulldozer showdown. Oh my god, yeah. We've got a tiny human chain of the holograms versus Eric and the Misfits, who are each armed with, like, what is this, a, a, a plow? What, what is this What is this piece of construction equipment? They keep calling them bulldozers. They don't quite look like it. Well, let, let's, let's say for the sake of argument, these are bulldozers. Eric and each misfit are in their own bulldozers, and there is a fleet of bulldozers behind them. How many bulldozers do you really need? Another question, don't you need any other pieces of construction equipment, like, say, a crane and a wrecking ball? If this fleet of bulldozers goes in and tries to demolish the front of the building, it's going to fall on them. Eric has not thought this this whole episode through at all. This is not a good episode for him. Especially because uh, Bobby calls Eric a turkey again. A bunch of Bobby's neighbors who also live in the, in the building uh, join the shield. They also call this a tenement building at some point, which I'm not sure is true. But we get an imp a hilariously slow impending bulldozer collision. Eric is like, the law is against you. And Bobby shouts back, since when does Eric Raymond care about obeying the law? Which, you know, fair point. Kimber has been missing from this whole thing. And she suddenly appears with a man named Mr. Wellington. Mr. Wellington is head of the historical society. Because of Bobby's sort of tiny museum apartment, uh, they have now designated the building as a historical landmark. So Kimber fought bureaucracy with bureaucracy. One assumes this took Kimber, if it took Kimber eight hours to figure out what zoning laws are, then in theory, this took her maybe an entire day. And so Eric Raymond has been defeated by the law, which, you know, hasn't stopped him before, but I guess it does this episode. And we launch into our third song. Let's not forget the past. AKA old people are definitely better than you. This is maybe notable for being, I think, aside from any of our Stingers holograms mashup songs, I think this is our only hologram song that has a male vocal in it. Bobby sings part of the song. And the lyrics are so bad. One of the lyrics is, it's traditional to say, do away with the past or something like that. You can't mix traditional with do away with the past. That I, I, never, I never thought about it, but oh dear. You can't say that. It's a contradiction in terms. The universe will blow up. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that makes an evil AI just stop working. Makes no sense. I will say that, I mean, though this episode is pretty ham-fisted, I do like the idea that they keep revisiting in Gem of the Holograms, which is let's educate you about other genres of music and music history. It's not, you know, the best executed here because it very much just comes across as old people are better than you. But like their, their efforts to do things like, say, let's look at the jazz age. Let's look at big band music. Here's an episode about a music quartet that really defined part of their genre. It's a nice idea, even if it's not executed the best. Especially for a show centered around glam rock, which is obviously one of the persistent genres of music. Yeah, that one really stuck around. It's funny, though, because all of them, of course, are framed as everything was leading to this moment. This genre right here. 
glam rock. Everything for a hundred years has been building up to glam rock. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. It's let's not forget the past. We have two repeats of Jack Take a Hike and Rock and Roll Forever. Rock and Roll Forever, they eventually do replay this beginning of the time travel episode in season two. And though Bobby says that they got it all wrong, they never change how they do the song. And then we get a superstar segment. Right. Danny Boy is back. To make bad choices. Danny Boy and the blonde starlight girl who's scared of witches. They're just sort of wandering in a studio when a power line comes down. Why are they wandering in a music studio? Like a television studio, I think? Yeah, it looks like a television studio. They're just there. You know, Mrs. Bailey wasn't able to watch them, so they've just got them. They brought them with them to Lindsay's show. Oh no, they brought them with them to dances. I bet dance is there. And uh, Jem and Shayna this time both pop out of a garbage can to tell them not to touch a live wire. They say, call the police or the utility people. Or just tell a freaking adult. Because their idea was just, let's pick this up and basically stick our mouths in it. Uh, but then they learned from some glam rockers not to touch live wires. And little girl's like, now we know the right thing to do. And that makes you a superstar. That about wraps us up for uh, for this week. Join us next week for Intrigue at the Indy 500, uh, an episode that I think will be a special pleasure because Mac and I are both native Hoosiers, which I don't I don't actually know how widespread that word is for from Indiana. It's not. We're from Indiana. I've had to explain what a Hoosier is like five times in the past week. It's weird, right? I thought it was a regular thing. I guess it's not. Nobody thinks about Indiana that much. Oh. So Mac and I are both from Indiana, so Intrigue at the Indy 500 is, is, is a fun one for us. The Gem Jam comes out every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can find us also on Tumblr and Twitter. We are also a Patreon-supported podcast. If you like what we do, if you want to uh, drop us a couple of bucks on our Patreon, that would be super cool of you. Spreading the word's also great. And until next week, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this has been The Gem Jam, where an eye for an eye leaves the whole world outrageous.